Well, I got some good news for you guys this morning. I have five pages of notes up here with me today, so we might get an earful. <laughs> um, you know, I got started, and just one thing led to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, and you know, so I don't know really where it's going to end, but I'm just preparing you in advance. I had five pages of notes up here. The passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Jesus is talking about his second coming. He's already asked the disciples, or the disciples have already asked him, you know, well, what are we to expect and, and what are we to look for? And he started talking about, you know, persecution against the church, that you're going to be put in harm's way for my sake. And he's going to t- talk to him about the, the uh, sky, how the, the moon and the, the sun are going to change colors. But in our passage today, as he led up to this, he brings out some really strong points. Points like one, no man knows that hour. And the second point is we always have to be ready. Today's passage of Scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Jesus said, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake. Therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let the house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this time that you've given us to come together. Father, as we begin this Advent season, as we look to to that Christmas day that we remember Christ coming into this world, help us to remember, Father God, that that, that was only the first coming, but, but there will be a day when your son comes home to gather all your children and to unite them under his reign. But Father, we know that until that day comes, There's a lot of living and a lot of loving to do. Be with us during this time of worship service, Father God. And Father, I ask that you be with me. Give me guidance and direction. Into me, Father God, of the words that I want to speak, but fill me with your spirit, that the words that come from my mouth may flow from your throne. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I first got here, we had what they call a setup meeting, and it's when the preachers all have to go down. And it was actually my first time of meeting any of the local pastors here. Uh, we go down and we meet with the district superintendent, and he gives us a lot of information. And while I was there, I met his secretary, Jane. And uh, we talked for a little bit, and we talked with her husband for a little while. I didn't think much about it, but later on that week, I had to call down to the district office and talk to Jane. And Jane said, Tommy, my husband just loved you. And I thought, well, that's really great. It's nice to know that you love sometime. And she, she said something strange. She said, 
he thinks that you need to be wearing a cowboy hat. And I thought back to my younger days when I had the Bon Jovi hair, and, and a cowboy hat is something I did wear, but I, can't, I don't think I can pull that off. And she kept talking about the different hats, and she said, Tommy, you're a Renaissance man. I knew that there was a movie named Renaissance Man, but I had no idea what it was. And she said, it's a person that can put on many different characters or wear many different hats. And I thought about her when I, when I read this message today. So I went into my closet and I pulled out some things. Putting on different personalities. And let me go ahead and share with you that Thanksgiving was good. So good I can't hardly fit into my stuff anymore, okay? Something happens when you change your environment. Many of you heard me speak when I'm wearing this. And it changes the, I guess, the aura, you would say. It represents a higher church, a, a different type of respect for the word and the congregation, depending upon their needs. The tone that you take when wearing something like this changes dramatically. And there's a time to address people in that tone. The last time I wore it was at George Vickery's funeral. And I wore it for him that day to honor him and the sacrifice that he gave during the time that he served in the United States Marine Corps. He was one of who we call the frozen chosen. But there are other hats that I put on. Sometimes when I'm hanging out with my buddies back home, we go a little bit more country because that's where they're at. And that's what they love. They love to hunt and they love to fish. And, and when we put on these, these hats, I can talk to them in a way that, that they're comfortable because they're not intimidated by the way I look. I relate to them. And we'll start talking about some of our past events or some of our favorite singers, and, and most likely we're going to talk about Hank Williams, Jr. We really and truly are because he was just a big influence on us when we were growing up. And I'll put on the hat, and I'll talk about Hank, Jr. and say, you know what, let's talk about Hank, Jr. and redemption. All the concerts we've ever heard about him performing were not good concerts because of his conduct. But I want you to know that, that one concert that I went to, I, I risked paying $25 to see Hank Williams Jr. And I thought, well, the three other artists are going to be performing with him, so even if he blows it, it's worth the money. But he redeemed himself that night. And he came out and put on the best performance I ever saw. And under this hat, I can talk to them about that. Now, this is my favorite hat. And I think John is going to understand this one. I'm on a mission from God. See, Jesus tells us that, that while we're here in this world, that, that we live with the expectation of his great and glorious return. And that day is coming. And no man knows the day nor the hour, not even Christ himself, only the Lord God. And during those days, Matthew records the words of Jesus here, and he tells us a lot of information. He points out to us that, that the second coming is going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. 
You see, Noah was told to go and build an ark and fill that ark with God's creation, regardless of what people thought about it. God told him that, that the storm was coming and the waters are going to cover the earth and destroy everything on it. And even though Noah spoke to people and shared with them the message of what God had said, they just lived their life as if nothing was going to happen, unaffected by the message that they heard. Now, I don't know that Noah related or didn't relate to them in any form or fashion, but I do know this to be true, that if we don't have a heart to seek God, no matter what message we hear, we're not going to hear it. But when we come into a relationship with God and we enter a relationship with other fellow Christians and we come with the intent of hearing and learning and experience and growing, then we will do just that. And sometimes it takes someone relating to us in our community, on our level of understanding, in order to get that message to go through. See, Jesus tells us these things are going to happen. He says that the day's coming when two men are going to be working in a field. One's going to be taken. The other one's going to be left behind. And we refer to that as the rapture of the church. The one who was taken was the believer. The one who was left behind, the non-believer. And those are the ones that, that concern me. Not the ones that are going to heaven, but the ones that are going to be left behind. So, when I think about them and I think about our community and I think about, about everything that goes on in life, I think about how I want to relate to the people regardless of what I think or what I feel or regardless of what's comfortable for me. This is what's comfortable for me. I wear a suit, my tie. I like it. Nobody else don't like it. That's okay. Tommy likes it. Tommy's comfortable. Tommy walks back and forth a little bit. That's okay. That's what Tommy likes. But if I go into a different environment that I need to respect the culture of those people. Because my mission is not to be friends. My mission is to take the message of Jesus Christ into all the world. And see, and that's not just my mission. That's every Christian's mission. Jesus said so before he ascended into heaven. He said to the disciples, Go ye therefore into all the nations of the world, preaching and teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all men. That's who we are and, and that's what we do. That is our purpose in life. Not to hold on to, to traditions of old, but to do whatever it takes to win a community for Christ Jesus. And I think sometimes about how the people respond to some of the things. And we kind of touched on this a little bit last week when we talked about the, the letter that Paul wrote to those in Colossae. Because they were wanting to supplement the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were wanting to make it more of a, a, an, an existential experience than a quest for knowledge and understanding. They wanted people to experience the emotional high that they feel when they first receive God. But Paul clearly instructs throughout his letters that there is more to the Christian walk than the emotional experience. 
In Romans, he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And Paul can say that because Paul was one of them. He was an Israelite Pharisee, known as the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He had the knowledge. He had the discipline. He walked it. He talked it. At least in his mindset. But Paul, just like the ones that he's referencing here, was missing the greater message. The greater message is that we, we live a perfect life. Because that's not a realistic view. Yes, we work hard to discipline ourselves and our behavior because it leads to more peace in the life that we live. And it leads to more blessings. It really and truly does. didn't say it's going to make you rich. But obedience to God's law brings blessings. But what Paul was trying to get the people away from understanding is this. No man or woman will ever be obedient enough to earn the favor of God. As a matter of fact, in the very beginning, when God called Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, he prepared for them the means of atonement for their sins. In other words, even though he was giving them the law and uh, trying to discipline them into a particular lifestyle, one obedient to his law, he looked at humanity and saw the reality of our sin. And to me, that's something to celebrate because that tells me that God looked into my tomorrow and said, Tommy, I know that you're going to sin here, I know that you're going to sin here, and I know you're going to sin here, but I have already equipped you to be successful in that life in spite of it. For those things that, that you can't overcome today, but maybe can overcome tomorrow, I have sent the Lamb to shed its blood for the atonement of your sins, so that you're made righteous not because of your own works, but because of the sacrifice of the blood. You see, in the, in the wilderness, the blood was shed once a year on the Day of Atonement. For the forgiveness of their sins. And that tradition carried over into Israel's lifestyle and into their culture. But when Christ came into the world, he himself became that sacrificial lamb. It was Christ himself who, who was a man without blame, a man without sin, who, who allowed himself to be taken to the cross at Calvary so that his blood would be shed so that we as a people could be reconciled back to God to know righteousness in the presence of our Lord despite our many failures. But what happens sometimes, I think, is this. Is that when we experience that initial salvation experience in our lives, that we are ignited by the Holy Spirit, that there's a, a fire that starts burning deep inside of us. 
sometimes we can't contain. They experienced that on the day of Pentecost after Christ's resurrection. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the people in Jerusalem, they said that they were speaking with tongues like fire, and they, they, they described it as this, that, that this person over here was speaking in the language of this person, but they understood one another plainly, as if they were speaking their own language. It caused a stir in society. But for the non-believers who witnessed this from the outside in, they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the, the power of God making a transformation in the lives of humanity. What they did is they looked and they saw God acting and they saw the Christians or the soon-be Christians and they said that they're acting like drunk people. They didn't understand the passion and the fire that, that was being experienced by the people there. But it's not for us to stay in that state. It's God's desire that, that we as a people grow in our faith through knowledge of God's Word. See, there came a debate one day that Paul had to address about uh, concerning spiritual gifts. And I think the debate was something about which spiritual gift was more important than the other. And this is a debate that still goes on today. And I'm going to share with you my stance on that. Paul said that speaking in tongues is, yes, definitely a gift of the Spirit. That we cannot nor will not deny. But he also went on to say not to desire speaking in tongues, but, but to the desire to be a prophet, the gift of prophecy. Now, let me clarify real quick that when we talk about prophets, we're not talking about the prophets of old who delivered divine messages from God pertaining to the end of the world, okay? It's done, it's written, it's said. Those prophets exist no more. But the prophets that still exist today are the prophets who speak truth into the lives of people, that deliver the message of hope and passion to those who are lost. Or maybe a word of encouragement to a brother or sister who is in need. And sometimes even a word of truth that they may not want to hear, but need to hear. Paul said this, that speaking in tongues edifies only the person experiencing that gift. What he means is this. The Spirit speaks to the person, gives them a message, and they begin speaking in tongues. They feel that power. They feel the fire, and they have that emotional experience. They have that spiritual experience that edifies to them the existence of God because in their mind they know this is only happening because God is making, making it happen. Me being an outsider looking in, if you tell me that, hey, God did this, I'm going to be questionable about it. Why should I take your word that what you're saying that I can't understand is God and not just your imagination? So it really doesn't edify me. It doesn't do anything for the church as a whole. It only edifies that person. But see, God wants us to, to grow from that experience. It's, it's kind of like a child coming out of, out of the womb and clinging on to the mother for dear life. 
And that child in its young and tender age is dependent solely upon the, the mother and the father for all of its needs. But that child, as it gets older, has to learn how to walk. And it has to, to learn how to talk and, and rationalize information and, and go out into the world and do things on its own. See, mom and dad are responsible for teaching that child those things, to prepare that child for, for the mission that they have in life, to give them over to God so that God can, can work in their life the way that, that he needs to in order to grow and mature them. But that child at some point has to let go of mom and dad and go live that life. Now, the thing is this, letting go of mom and dad doesn't mean forgetting mom and dad. And it doesn't mean to stop honoring mom and dad. What it means is that mom and dad have done their job effectively and they can let go of that emotional restraint that they, or that emotional connection that they have and step out in life and live it. And live it to their fullest expectation. So as we gain knowledge and understanding about God, what we find is that, that we need to, to start letting go sometimes of, of that need to have an emotional connection all the time. God taught us. He taught us himself and the things that we experienced in life. He took us as babes and fed us milk until we were able to handle meat. He put people and circumstances in our lives that, that, that challenged us sometimes. But when given the opportunity to ask of God, how should I respond to this? And we seek that knowledge and understanding. We become less dependent on that emotional feel and become more dependent upon the Word of God. See, that's what faith is. It's not the wish for everything that I want and for God to grant it. But faith transforms our lives when properly used. And Paul goes on to say this. And he points out clearly here that, that faith isn't built by those emotional attachments, but faith is built by hearing and believing and acting on the Word of God. And when we do that, our faith in Christ grows strong and we become a strong and dependent person. then we are able at that time to put on different hats, to talk to, to different people in, in different environments and different circumstances because we have a working knowledge of who God is and, and what he has done in our lives. And we can share that experience with others. One of the things that we do when we put on different hats is this. 
we deny ourselves for the moment who we are in personality. And that's okay. That's a tactic. That is a, something that we employ to, to fulfill a mission. I may not like a particular kind of music, but, but Wilma over here does. And if I want to get, convey a message to her, then I need to speak to her about a particular song that means something to her, whether it means anything to me or not. Because the mission, again, is not to be the friend, but to carry out the message that Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And she connects and she understands with that. Christ came into the world that the world would be saved. Amen. I don't know if I've ever explained this. See, my mission is this. It's not to preach how to have a happy life or how to gain riches. It's not. Because if you follow God's commands, those things will naturally fall in place in their time. I'm not even what the church would consider priestly. Priestly are the people who care for the ordinances of God. Things like the lighting of the candles, the changing of the colors, important roles. I'm a prophet. I don't mean that I see the future. But see, prophets are concerned about this behavior. That's why you hear so many sermons coming from me about how we as Christians should act and live because that's what's important to me. That's the message that, that God gives me. I don't do things because I enjoy them sometimes. I do them out of duty. And I think that that's what God calls us as Christians to, to do and remember sometimes is that, that we're called to be a people who would reveal God to a lost and dying world. And we do so by the way we act and love one another and by the way we act toward and love God. And the more knowledge that we have, the more understanding of God and how God works in humanity, the stronger we are and the more prepared we will be. See, Christ came into the world. It was God's Christmas present to us, I like to say, to set us free. And our present to him is to deliver that message to those who are in need. So let me challenge you during this Advent season that when you find yourself in a circumstance or a situation that, that's uncomfortable or unfamiliar, to step aside for a moment Put on a different hat. Speak to a people in a language that they understand. Because it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow. But the day is coming. When Christ is going to call God's children home, 
And there will be one man in the field who was taken up and one man left behind. Let's prepare for those who may be left behind today so that they can enter eternity with God's church. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you, and as we prepare to close the service today, Father, we want to thank you for the, for the wonderful Christmas season that, that's approaching, but, but help us to stay focused on the here and now, the season of Advent, the season where we live with the great expectation of Christ's second return. And help us to remember, Father God, that, that we as a people are a people who want to honor your law, but know that if it weren't for the sacrifice of the Lamb, we would be lost. And help us be a people who would be so observant of life around us that we would recognize the need of others and be able to communicate with them effectively through knowledge and not just emotion. Displaying maturity and love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. And enjoy this Advent season, my friend. Amen.